Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everybody. I am Lucia Matuonto, and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. Welcome back to another episode of the Relatable Voice podcast. Today, we are on the road to York in the United Kingdom to speak with Catherine Lund. Catherine is an archaeologist and author. Her newest book is entitled The Things We Left Sleeping, which is out now. So, Catherine, welcome to the RV. Thank you. It's very frosty here in York, so hopefully we're going to stay on the road, uh -huh. not end up in a snowdrift anywhere tonight. Yes, it's freezing, I know, but, you know, I'm happy <laughs> to cross the pond. <laughs> Catherine... I have never been to York. I've only been to London and Northampton. What is your favorite thing about living in York? Definitely the history of the city. York is a ancient city. It's a medieval city. It dates back to the Roman times. We still have parts of the Roman wall standing. It's still a walled medieval city. We've got our gates and our barbicans. Um, during the time of the Norse, or what people got to call the Viking times, it was the capital mm -hmm. of the north of England. So it's an sort of ancient cultural capital and was the seat of lots of beautiful artwork and um, all sorts of really interesting things that happened here, religious rebellions, civil war activity taking place here. So it's just a really interesting city. And it's a city that sort of skipped the Industrial Revolution. Quite a lot of cities in the north of England, when the Industrial Revolution took off, all of the older medieval parts were destroyed. But York, it sort of bypassed that. And when the Victorians tried to knock down the city walls, when some of the Victorians tried to knock it down, a city wall preservation society was actually formed. So we're one of the few places where you can walk an entire circuit of the city still. So it's just, it's just a beautiful and exciting place to live. I would love to visit the cathedral and I think it's Cathedral of St. Peter. Um, we have the Minster. It's a Minster because it was a teaching, a teaching place. It's why it survived the Reformation of Henry VIII. So when Henry VIII um, dissolved the, um, the Roman Catholic Church and invented the Church of England, of course, all the monasteries were destroyed and our main part, the Museum Gardens, is actually the remains of the abbey that was there. But the minster itself remained because it became, well, it was a teaching place and it remained and became a teaching place for the new Church of England. So we actually have the title of minster and it's the largest minster in Western Europe. And York is well known for having more than 365 pubs. So one for 
every day of the year. Is it true, Catherine? I can certainly believe it has one restaurant for every day of the year. Every time a shop closes, a restaurant opens. So we're not short of places to eat, but that's what makes it exciting. There's always something happening in town. And when you've been to see it, you can go somewhere nice out of the rain for somewhere to, something to eat. So, yeah, I can, I can certainly believe that we've got that many places to eat and drink and dine. I'll put York on my bucket list. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> And Catherine, you mentioned two journeys in your life, one from childhood to adolescence and the second in your 20s. You mentioned not feeling like you fit in as a child and teenager. Can you tell us more about your two journeys? Absolutely. So I see my life as, and I'm sure lots of people who are listening have, as having a turning point. And for me, that turning point is my early 20s when I developed a neurological disorder. But up until that point, throughout my childhood, not fitting in and being different was something that I embraced and celebrated because it felt positive. It felt like a strength to be able to see the world sideways, to not feel like I belonged to where I lived, even though I was very happy in my family life, to want something bigger and to want something different and to want to go out and explore the world felt like an exciting thing. It was exciting to be different. It was exciting to belong to the sort of family that packed you into a car at the start of summer and said, we're going to America, here's a map, pick where we're going to stop next, or we're going to travel across Europe, pick where you want to stop next. But when the Berlin Wall came down, my dad was said, what? right, everybody get in the car, we're going to go and we're going to drive and we're going to see, you know, the, the communist bloc before it changes. And that felt exciting. It felt like I was meant to be different. I, I know lots of teenagers think they are different and lots of teenagers feel that they don't fit in. But I was quite happy with that. And it felt proactive. It felt like I was meant to be going out and doing different things. And I was excited by my life and I was excited by the opportunities that it gave and the difference drove me. So my feeling of, of differences, which I think was, although I didn't realise it at the time, was a lot to do with being queer, was you know a lot to do with um, really just having a different life idea of what I wanted out of life than lots of people around me. So never wanted children, never wanted to get married, never had the idea of wanting the family that might my sister very definitely did and enjoyed babysitting and doing all these things that I never wanted to do but to me that felt like a driving force but then what changed in my 20s when I when I got well two things happened my my mum died very suddenly and then um, some neurological symptoms that I was very very slowly and gradually experiencing came to a head and I had these seizures and then suddenly my difference was something that felt like it was cutting me off and I stopped enjoying being different because it wasn't a difference that I asked for it wasn't a difference that I felt was part of me it was illness and it felt like it was something that was very much imposed on me and from that point on it felt more like I was reacting all the time to being ill and my difference became a limitation and that was something that was very very difficult to cope with. This neurological issue was out of the blue do you think it was triggered by the fact that you lost your mom it's very definitely connected so I've had lots of diagnoses over the last 10 
longer than that, 14 years now, because um, I'm now 38. And it's been everything from epilepsy to nonverbal Tourette's, muscular Tourette's, chronic migraine, chronic pain. Um, but what I've actually got is a non-discrete condition. So it's all of those things, but only aspects of them. It's called a functional neurological disorder. And it's something that you can always have, but moments of anxiety trigger it and can bring it to a head. So when I was in my third year at university, for example, I absolutely loved university. I had an absolutely wonderful time at university. But in my third year, I was getting very, very intense migraines and speech problems, which we all put down to stress. And then um, my mum died within six weeks of a diagnosis of cancer. So this was a very, very sudden, really very traumatic death. It was an absolutely awful situation to, to go through as a family. And in the period after that, I started having mind absences. So I would be reading a book or watching a programme that I was very familiar with. And I would think, I don't recognise anyone's faces. I don't remember the plot line. I can't remember what I was doing. I can't hold things and very strange sensations of time that the time inside your head and outside doesn't quite match up which of course you put down to grief because grief is a very strange and physical yeah. and I think especially the loss of a parent who you're very close to is a physical feeling you can feel that loss inside you now very definitely when my mother died I felt a, a, a physical feeling of, of loss inside me so it was, it was very easy to put it down to that until I was supply teaching at the time and I was taking a class and I woke up in hospital and I'd had a seizure and I spent about a week in hospital having a succession of seizures and that was really the turning point because after that the condition never quietened back down so it, it definitely periods of anxiety this period of anxiety had very definitely stimulated it and had you know brought it to a head but now it's something that was very much out of control and I've never gone back to the point of before those seizures so um it is difficult knowing that you know you are triggered by anxiety. Catherine this second journey leads you to your newest book The Things We Left Sleeping. Can you tell us what inspired you or what inspired this book? The Things We Left Sleeping is a book about that journey that we make from illness to the understanding of our illness and our relationship with it. So I was saying how it very definitely felt like I got an illness and that's something that was imposed on me and I became you know, different to my friends and different to everyone around me. And it felt very much like I had one life that I was meant to be living and I'd been shunted onto a side one. And finding it very difficult to relate who I was to the person that I was becoming. And what is very, very difficult is coming to accept that new person that you are and that person that you're becoming and that relationship with yourself and the relationship with your illness. And it, you know, it took me probably about 10 years to start to be okay with the fact that I was ill and to start to be able to understand better what my relationship was with that illness that it was all right not to be happy about the fact I had a chronic condition it was all right not to feel empowered by having a disability that I was allowed to feel ill that I was allowed to feel grief for the person that I was before and that this person had gone um but as 
anyone out there who, who's got any sort of neurological condition knows one of the hardest things to do when you have this condition and when you're experiencing you know this journey with yourself is to actually explain to people what's going on and what's happening in your head and that's where the book the things we left sleeping comes from it's about me trying to explain to really anyone who will listen what it's like to wake up in a head that's not your own and what it's like to lose autonomy over the internal narration inside your head what it's like to lose control of your memories what it's like to lose control of the person that you are and to have to keep going so the things we left sleeping literally refers to those things that we lose through illness the parts of ourselves that we have to leave behind the relationships that suffer because we don't have the energy to use to you know interact with them anymore and we're not that person anymore and huge parts of us die or huge parts of us become ill along with us and through what I wanted to do through the book was really talk with myself and, and talk to the reader about okay well when it gets down to it what are the important parts of yourself what are the parts of yourself that you don't want to leave sleeping that you will fight to keep with you and, and fight to wake up and through writing the book for me I realized it was you know the memories of my family so family is very important in the book it's about even my main character's relationship with her father and um, with her with her mother, who in the book is deceased. So it's about still being able to to grieve and to connect and make emotional connections with family, which can be really, really difficult when you're neurologically ill. And it was about sort of externalising and recognising who it was that I loved. So a lot of it's about, you know, my identity as a queer woman. Um, but that doesn't mean that you need to have those things yourself to read and enjoy the book. It's about asking the question of what would you fight for and what would you say, you know what, that part of me is dead, it's gone, I'm going to leave it and I'm going to grieve, but I'm going to accept that and step away. So that's what it is. It's, it's the things we left sleeping and it's it's about the journey that we make and the things that we will fight to keep with us. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. First of all, Catherine, I'm very sorry for your loss. And I can't even imagine how devastating that was to go through. And also your father is a cancer survivor. He so is. So both of my parents, and this is just the thing that sometimes it very much feels like life is picking on you because my mum, she had bile duct cancer. So that is a cancer that um, if you get it, by the time you know you've got it, you're already dead because it only shows when your symptoms 
present. So she was feeling very ill. She went to the doctor. The doctor said it's indigestion. She went back a few days later and said, I don't think it is. She turned yellow. She went to the hospital and she was given six weeks to live and that was it. But through that, my father kept going. He he kept, you know, pushing on with the things that he wasn't willing to leave sleeping. And one of those was, you know, the memory of just how hard my mum fought. So he became a cancer advocate at our local hospital. He joined boards. He um, did all sorts of outreach work. And that meant that one day when he woke up and recognised one of the symptoms, he was able to go to one of the doctors at the hospital that he knew and said, I think I've got the same thing. And um, they took him in that day. And thanks to the, the, you know, the connections that he'd made and the work that he'd done, um, he was actually able to get that diagnosis very quickly. So he had an operation, he's had his chemo, and he's now about a year clear. But sometimes it does, you know, it feels, you say, you know, you'll know three people in your life that get cancer, and I definitely know more than that. And it seems, it can seem very unfair that, both your parents get something that's very unlikely that they're going to get. Was the same cancer? So it was in the, my mum had it in her bowel duct. My dad ended up having most of his intestines removed. So it's, um, yeah, it's a sort of not in precisely the same area, but close enough that the symptoms, you know, he was able to recognize and, and take action. Oh, thankfully. <laughs> But, you know, that's just part of, my dad always says, you know, we keep going. And when people ask him how he is, he always says, well, I'm not dead yet. And that's very much as well what The Things We Were Sleeping is about. It's about the fact that you give up or, or you keep going. So at many points in the book, even my main character, she's living in this world inside her head. And it, you know, it's, it's representing of this as, as, a, as a farm where she's living and she's all alone apart from, you know, these strange characters that she's sort of conjuring up that don't really speak to her. Um, and at points, she's just giving up and she just lies there and lies there and lies there. But it, it becomes a point where she, she has to get up and she has to do something and she has to start finding her way out. And at the beginning, she does that by physically just trying to dig her way out of the landscape that she's in. And when she can't do it that way, she begins it by journaling. So she starts to write about what she's doing and where she's going. And, you know, page by page, she actually starts to take over the narrative of the book itself and becomes the book's writer because that's what happens with grief and that's what happens with illness. We start off out of control and unable to um, control what's happening around us. And it just feels like it's been almost a narration that's put on us. You've been told that you're ill, you've been given all of these medical words you've been giving your medication, you've been giving your diagnosis and none of it's under your control. And it's only when we start to assess our relationship, you know, to ourselves and to that illness that we start to take control. And to me, part of that control was realising that I can't cure myself and that I need to stop acting and hoping like if I do everything right, if I take this medication, I am going to be the person that I was before and realise that I'm not going to be that person. I'm going to be the person that I become. And that's okay. And that's, you know, very definitely what I wanted to say with the book was that, you know, as I say, it's okay to grieve for the person that you were before, but you need to let them go because you're not going to be that person anymore and you can't be that person. Accepting is difficult and it's not easy. 
No, but I think because sometimes we feel like accepting is giving up. If I accept having a neurological condition, if I accept the fact that I have depressive episodes, if I accept the fact that sometimes I just absolutely feel like giving up, then I am giving up. And it's not at all. You can't go forward until you accept. So accept and accepting isn't saying I'm okay with this. It's like I can accept the fact that my mum got ill and died. It's something that happens. Accepting doesn't mean I'm ever going to think that that's okay. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to miss her. So I can accept that I have neurofunctional disorder. I can accept that I have depression. But that's just it. It's an acceptance. It's not me saying, and that's okay. It's not me giving up. And it's not me saying I'm going to stop taking my medication and not trying. It's actually a reason to take my medication and, and keep trying. Catherine, what do you hope readers will take away from reading your book? I hope that they'll read it. And first off, if they've got anyone in their life who is going through um, a neurological illness or is going through a chronic illness, I hope they'll realize that that person is not in control of that illness. Because so many times, you know, when you sort of read people commenting or writing letters in to ask for help with mental illness it's you know someone in my family is is ill and it's doing this to our family they're doing this to our family and they're not doing it to your family the illness is doing that to your family so I hope that my character Evie through her struggles and how difficult it is for her to cope shows that this is something that's been done to everybody it's been done to her and it's also been done to her father and to her partner It's the illness that is doing it. It's not the person that's doing it. And I hope the other thing that they get is, is understanding of what it's like. So you know, even if you've got neurofunctional disorder, my presentation and my experience might not be the same, but I hope that when they read it, they get an idea of, of what it is like to live with a neurological difference and how the world presents itself and what it's like to, to make that journey. And maybe if they've made that journey themselves through grief or Will still know that they're not making it alone, even if the journey is, you know, a different one to the one that I've done. Congratulations, Catherine, for writing this book. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, the things we were sleeping is definitely it's it's not a true story, but it's the truth of my story, and it felt fantastic to write it and to actually find a way to put down on the page what. I struggled to explain to doctors and what I struggled to explain to therapists and what I struggled when people say, what's wrong with you? Because you say, having notes and people say, what's wrong with you? I can say, well, read the book. That's what's wrong with me. This is a, this is a good idea. And journaling is always therapeutic. You started with journaling and then you ended up publishing. Exactly. Are you currently working on anything new you would like to share with us? Don't tell me that you will stop writing. I want to. <laughs> um, so um, I'm just at the stage at the moment, I have a book for young adult readers. And I'm just at the stage at the moment where you've got to write the synopsis. So you've got to summarize the story, which is actually really difficult because you've had this huge concept and you've narrowed it down into a book and you've edited the book and you've got the book down to the right size. And then you've got to you know, put that entire story and concept into like one and a half thousand words. So, um, but it's all about a young girl whose mum is dying and she thinks she can find a way to save her. And it's all about her sort of 
going through the realization of, of what the death of a parent means and what are the things in life that you can actually save and make a difference with and what are the things in life that you just have to face up to and find a way to live through so yeah just at the start of the sort of process with that book which is which is exciting which is exciting great and also i want to tell our listeners that you will be featured in our magazine the relatable voice yes so they'll be able to see your book cover to see your socials and contact you and please can you share your contacts with us of course yeah i'd love to i have a website where you can look at my work and find out a little bit more about me and reviews of my book i've got a book of short stories on there as well which also look at mental illness and a lot of that is um coming from my diagnosis of things like ocd and depression so um it sounds itself quite depressing but hopefully they're, they're quite uplifting stories and quite positive stories and um, i can definitely share my social media with you which quite often features rabbit pictures of my house rabbits so that is a bunny bonus for anybody who um, joins up to follow me mm-hmm. so what is your website so my website is www.katherinelundtheauthor.co.uk. I'm Catherine, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N. I'm the most unusual spelling of Catherine you can get, but that was my mother's choice, so I embrace it. Catherine, it was a pleasure to talk with you, and I hope you can come back to tell us about your new book. I would absolutely love that, and it was absolutely wonderful to go for a ride with you today. Wonderful, and I'm looking forward to go back to York. <laughs> oh, yes, come and visit us. We have, as I said, lots of places to eat. At least you won't go hungry. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening and remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.